in the football shed, the weekly podcast for fans of football that live in the wrong time zone, like we do in Australia. My name's John Hewitt. Jeff King is here. Good eight. And there's no Roger Gibbs. No, he's. Did you see the photo he sent? He's found a snake. How... Yeah, he's on holiday in Great Keppel Island and with a python. Which, apparently. by the way, is just an island nowhere. With his yeah, family, yeah, he brought yeah. his young family to an island in the middle of nowhere and sent a photo of a, of a massive, was it a python? It's a python, yeah. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, no, no, Sorry, no, no, like, no. like 20 seconds <laughs> in, I'm swearing already, but that picture of that python, imagine seeing that in the morning. I would just go home. Well, like, yeah. it, it was in where they were staying. Like, if you woke up in the morning and went, oh, it's a big python, yeah, I'm, no, I'm done. No time for that. No time no. for that at all. No, definitely not. But uh, Roger's not here with his fancy beers. What have you got, Jeff? It is Atomic Pale Ale. Sounds like it was made by a supermarket. So I caved today, right? So I, I, I mean, you you know me well enough. I usually just drink what I can scrounge from <laughs> yes. my own house. Yeah. And on the on the drive home, I thought, oh, what have I got in? What have I got in the fridge? Nothing was in the fridge, and I thought, oh, okay, what have I got in the spirit cabinet? I'm like, okay, I've got some whiskey. Am I just going to just drink dry whiskey all night in the shed? So I caved and actually bought some beer. And I was gagging to have a beer. I'm already on my third. Oh, good one. Well, it's going to be an eventful date night then, I reckon. I hope so. I am um, not on the Audi $5 wine because there was none in Audi, so I'm on the Audi $7 wine. Can so, you taste the extra two bucks? No, I, I prefer the $5. Really? It's genuinely nicer. This one's very good. It's the one road Shiraz, which has won lots of awards. You should go into our Audi, take $2 and just throw it in their face. <laughs> just go, fuck you, Audi. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want your $7 wine. You can take wine. your extra value. <laughs> I want the $5 one. Um, but every week we do start with a question, but before we start the question, I've got to do the boring bit of admin. Um, if you want to get in contact, ask us a question, um, tell us that Jeff and I have said something wrong tonight, um, or that you miss Rog. You can find us on Facebook, just search Football Shed, or email us at footballshedpodcast at gmail.com. Um, don't forget to subscribe, um, leave us a review on Apple, um, and of course tell your mates so more people can hear us wittering on. Now, Jeff, is only you. I think I've got a chance. So I reckon you're going to win this question. Chikorito scored at the weekend for West Ham. The P. The P. The little little P. Little P, mini P. Because his dad was called the P. He's the PP. He's the, he's the PP. <laughs> um, Papa P. He scored, unsurprisingly, from inside the box. Yes. He scored every single goal that he scored in the Premier League inside the box. How many has he scored? I think... Okay, so I, I... This includes like Man United years, West Ham years. I feel like I've got some foundation for this because isn't the player with the most Tim Cahill? Yes. At 49? Close. 50? Uh, well, no, I'm not going to keep going. <laughs> so, which makes me think that it's less than that. <laughs> so, I think it's 43. He is on 53. Whoa. How Cahill, many did Cahill get? 56. So, he's chasing down Cahill. Whoa. And... Uh, Jesus is also in the list. He's on 29 now. It's funny that you can, like, that's a hard record to chase down because you essentially just have to go hang every time you're on the pitch. You can imagine he's like, track back. No, no, I'm not tracking back. He's got to score four more from inside the box. Wow. That's a, is that an incredible achievement? Oh, not really. Well, he, he's a goal, he's a penalty box scorer, isn't he? That's what he does. That's his job. So I guess it's a good achievement. Is there, I mean, okay, ignore his history. Is there a better player right now to be inside the box? Probably Jesus. Jesus, yeah. Jesus. Aguero. What are we going to call him? Aguero? You'd rather have Aguero in the box than Chikorito, but Chikorito has one skill, which is be in the box. Yeah, he's good at that one yeah. skill, isn't he? The ironic thing about Timmy Cahill, he scored 56 goals from inside the box. Um, probably 55 headers. Um but then he came to the A-League, his first goals from the halfway line. Outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. <laughs> and he actually scored a few from... I think he scored a header from outside the box in yeah. the A-League. And wasn't his overhead in the World Cup outside the box? No. That was, you're thinking of his volley. Oh, his volley, His yeah. volley. And yeah. slightly outside the box, yeah. But yeah. in the Premier League, you just... Yeah, just that was his it. job. That's because Everton played Route 1. That is a fact. When <laughs> Moyes was there... Everton played Route 1. Now we're, we're like a Rolls-Royce. Well, we'll get onto that later. Well-oiled Rolls-Royce. Do you oil a Rolls-Royce? Well, you get someone to pay, you yeah. pay someone to do it for you. He was a Rolls-Royce. <laughs> um, but talking of not long ball, Man City smashed Spurs this week, but actually left with a draw to all. Um, Man City were just way better, but somehow Spurs got out of it because they're going to win the league. Did you, so you think this is a sign? I Yeah, because if you play badly and get a point, like Man City have won... 
16 games in a row in the Premier League. Like, mm-hmm. they haven't dropped a point. They're at home. And I said when I predicted Spurs are going to win the league that um, they've got Man City early and they've got Arsenal early. I think they play Arsenal in two weeks. If they come out of that, having been undefeated and maybe won one or two of those, then they have a run of about 10 weeks where they should win every game. So I can I think Spurs have put themselves in a great position and they've not started playing well yet. Like If they start playing well then suddenly other teams are going to get worried. And everyone's talking about, oh, they've, fought, they've like lost Trippier, who scored, um, created a goal for Atletico. Oh, did, did he really? Yeah. How, did he, how did he look? He looked amazing, apparently. Like, he was told to just stand on the wing, cross it in, and that's all he did. Oh, well, I mean, that's his, that's yeah. his Chikorito skill, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I but, mean, so some stats on that game. Mm. Uh, you're absolutely right. Man City smashed them. Uh, the shot count. Man City had 30 yep. to Tottenham's Three. <laughs> Man City had ten on target to Tottenham's two. Shots off target eight to Tottenham's one. Blocked shots. Man City had twelve to Tottenham's zero. I mean, I'm not going to keep yeah. going, but they also had a ninety percent passing accuracy rate. Man City were incredible. So how could they have not won that game? Um, well, I think Spurs have a little bit of a hoodoo over them, and I think they also just let them play. Like, you know Man City are going to be brilliant. You know they're going to do what they do and they're going to try and pass it around and cut it back. You're going to concede one or two. But the thing where Man City are weakest is at the back. So when you get the ball and you attack quickly, you counter-attack or however you do it, and you get the ball forward with pace and you make the best of your chances, then you get a result out of it. And Pochettino's done it a few times now. And so I don't think he worries about the fact that Man City had 30 shots if, if Spurs are going to have three and score two of them, come out with a draw. It's fine. And Lucas Moura scored a header. He's five foot seven. Yeah, that, that's like, really terrible. That, that would keep you up at night, wouldn't it, if yeah. you're a pet? Um, and also, uh, that goal was preventable. It, it wasn't well well placed, that goal. Like, I, I don't think they it should have conceded those two. But both goals that Spurs scored shouldn't have been conceded by Man City. But that's what you do about Man City, against Man City. You're going to get two or three chances max scored one or two of them, you're in the game. You make it sound so easy, John. It is. It's you're going to get two chances. All you've got to do is score them both and make sure that Man City yes. don't score from their 30 shots. Yeah. <laughs> and then you've won. It's yeah. easy. Um, did you see Aguero and Pep having a bit of an argument? Yeah, I like to call it a pep talk. <laughs> you've thought about that a he while. He got a pep talk. He did, definitely. Yeah. Did. He was pepped up. <laughs> it was. But they had a big falling out. Yeah. And then Jesus... Jesus, what are we going to call him? Jesus. Christ scored um, a goal that mm. was then disallowed for VAR. What does he call himself? Gabriel. Probably me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and on VAR, we're going to come, we've decided that we're going to put VAR at the end of when we talked about football for a bit rather than it infiltrating every conversation we have. So we'll fair just have, yeah, we'll have a five minute VAR section at the end. Good rule. Um, Make a cup of tea. But. Aguero got taken off, argued with Pep um, and was a bit pissed off about the whole thing. And Pep was like, oh no, Jesus is going to come and save the day. Um, and then he scored and they had a big old cuddle for 45 seconds afterwards and was just like, oh, it's all okay. It's all okay. Turns out it wasn't. What do you mean turns out it wasn't? Well, because the goal didn't stand. So they had a big cuddle. Oh yeah. What an anti-climax yeah. cuddle. Yeah, exactly. So oh. it's just like, it's a dry hump. It is. It is. <laughs> Yeah, I, di- I didn't like it because I-, I feel like um, that kind of stuff. Well, it wouldn't happen in my day, John. Not the not the cuddling. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not checking back that far. I'm just thinking that that kind of spat on the touchline. I don't care if you're if you're passionate people, yeah. you know, with Latin yeah. roots. And I, I don't care yeah. if you're Salt Bay. Like yeah. you shouldn't be. Um, <laughs> that's a modern reference. I just yeah, made yeah a modern that's reference. good. Yeah, yeah. like I, I just think that. Um, it's a sign of disrespect from from Aguero, and it's a sign of losing control slightly from Pep. I don't think that should be happening on the touchline. I was, I thought it was odd that it was so public, like it was such a public fight and a, such a public makeup that it almost felt forced. Pantomime. Isn't yeah, it, it yeah. was. Whereas in reality, like if uh, players are get pulled off and they're not happy about it, usually there's a bit of a like, and then they sit down and the managers. Ignores them, but Pep engaged in the conversation yeah, and he engaged in the to. fight. 
And yeah, I don't think there was any need for that. And the fact that we've discussed that before we discussed how amazing Kevin De Bruyne is. Yeah. I, I think it's sad. <laughs> and, and they did that by having a little kiss and yeah. cuddle in, a, in an argument. And, and that's a shame because Kevin De Bruyne is one of the greatest players that I have seen this year. Is, I'm going to say it's, it was an amazing performance. He was so good. Is he, did you put him down as player of the year? Yeah. Did we, we, all, we all did. did. Yeah. yeah. And I think rightly so. I think you just give him the, the award now. As long as he stays fit, he is just brilliant. Yeah. Um, moving off Man City and Spurs, um, two managers that are completely comfortable in their jobs and doing all right. <laughs> Where's this going? <laughs> I feel like we should go on to managers that are struggling a little bit mm. already. Two games in, I'm kind of. There's part of me that hates the fact that after two games we're talking about managers that are struggling. Depends how bad they're doing. Remember, remember Frank De Boer. Exactly. I kind of enjoy it at the same yeah. time. So I think first up is Frank Lampard struggling at Chelsea. Well. I would say that Frank Lampard is doing as well as he was expected to do at Chelsea. He's not won a game in his first three games. No one's done that in the Abramovich era apart from Rafa Benitez. And they all hated him. I, I mean, I don't know what to say. When you could, There are already media reports saying that, you know, Lampard, his faults as a manager are the same as his faults as a player. That was on The Guardian. That was a headline. Yeah. And I remember reading that thinking, holy shit, you've... Um, You've lost your hero status pretty quick. I mean, he's lost. Uh, he's lost two trophies, has he? No, one. Trophy. One lost one trophy and then lost two games of football, or yeah. drawn. He's drawn two, one lost one. Yeah, I, I mean, it's hard. I, I, I feel for him in a way because he's doing the right things. We have been, and this is the, the fickle thing about football. We call for a certain change for a very long time, and then when we see that change, we say it's crap. Yeah. So, uh, we, we, <laughs> I mean, uh, you can we'll save that for the VAR conversation. Yeah. But the in reference to Frank Lampard, we have called and been gagging for Chelsea to play their kids for a very long time. We've been talking about you can track back to four seasons ago on the shed mm. and listen to us talk about yeah. their how many players they have out on loan and why are they given a chance in the Premier League and Chelsea, the club, like they have no respect for for bringing up youth and you know yeah. we ran and raved about it. So Frank Lampard comes in and he does it. He plays players like Mason Mount and Kurt Zuma. Tammy Abraham gets a go. And they're not as good as people expect Chelsea to be. You know, the Chelsea myth. Oh, they're not, it's not up to Chelsea standard. And suddenly he's his head's on the chopping block. You're like, we, there's a certain point where we have to take some reality in what we wish for. Because we want Chelsea to do that. I, yeah, and I want Frank Lampard to do well. Not because I want Chelsea to do well, but because I want... England to do well and watching Mason Mount score that goal which was brilliant yep. and he nabbed it off Ndidi and that was excellent and he could have gone down at that point as well he could have just gone oh yeah he's tripped me and try and got a penalty he was like no I'm going to keep going and get the goal and I want them to do well in that but also I don't know how far if Chelsea finish 12th is he still going to keep his job like and I I've as my wild card put that one of Man United or Chelsea won't finish in the top 10. And I, from the first two games, I feel like Chelsea are struggling for top half. Like they play Norwich away this week. Norwich have started brilliantly. Got Pookie got a hat trick at the weekend. They're at home. They'll be so up for that game. And Chelsea with all their young players, they seem to come out at 400 miles an hour for the first 20 minutes, half an hour. And they did against Leicester. And it's a bit like, oh, don't know how to deal with this. Then they get worn out and the other team suss them out and take over and win. Um, is exactly what Man United did. Um, and I think Norwich would have watched that in the last two games and gone, just hold on for half an hour. Exactly. Weather, weather the storm because they, they come out all guns blazing and that gives you a bit of hope. And then as they, they lose their organisation. They lose their shape. Okay. I'll, to Frank Lampard's credit, he is bedding in new players that have not played together too much. I mean, they had a good preseason, for whatever that's worth. They they don't necessarily know where each other are over each other's shoulders. They don't recognise the shouts. They're, they're a new side being put together with players who are, they are experienced, but they're not experienced playing for Chelsea. So the, um, the Mason Mounts and the Tammy Abrahams and the Zoomers of this world are not used to the pressure of going, you need to win every week. And if you don't win every week, it's not good enough. A one-all draw against Leicester for Kurt Zuma in his last two seasons at Stoke and at Everton 
That'd fine. be fine. Absolutely yeah. fine. Get a point. Yeah. Everyone, everyone's a winner. Just keep tracking on. Yeah. It's going to be a good season. Well, not everyone's a winner. Everyone's a drawer. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially Leicester and Chelsea, yeah. But so, that's the kind of mental pressure they're used to. And there is a shift. You know, there is a gear shift when you play for a club that has the expectation that you win every week full stop. And Frank Lampard, to his credit, probably has the expectation as a manager that you win every week because his whole career was spent being a player that tried to win every week. So it's hard to change that mentality, especially when you've lost your most senior player. We won't talk about it too much this yeah. season, but when Hazard goes and he's he's there, I'm not even going to say it, but Hazard is there, Zaha. Yeah, he <laughs> is the player yeah, yeah, in a, yeah. in a one-all draw with Leicester who can do something that no one was expecting and unlock yeah. a defence that is very used to coming up against the way you've been playing for the last 60 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Without that and having these young players, I, I think that Frank Lampard has a very tough gig in front of him. I don't think that he will be given the time to do what I'm not sure he's capable of doing, but I won't know because he won't get the time. Yeah, so you reckon he could be out like this season? Yeah, I do. It depends yeah. who comes available. And not only yeah. that, but it depends who would take the job. Yeah. Because Frank Lampard's deck of cards is going to be the same as whoever replaces Frank Lampard's deck of cards. Yeah. There's no... You, you can't guarantee someone's going to have £200 million to spend in, at Christmas and then decide who's the, who's the most astute in the transfer yeah. market. You know, you, you can't get one of the old boys in who's going to do yeah. a good job because they're going to have Mason Mount and Kurt Zuma too. It's interesting that um, they played Leicester this week. And Leicester obviously managed by Brendan Rodgers. And he left Celtic in a rush to take the Leicester job. But if he had hung around, he probably would have been given the Chelsea job um, in the summer, I reckon. So, and he is a better coach than Frank Lampard. That's a fact. And he's a better coach. And he did his like apprenticeship, if you like, under Mourinho at Chelsea. So he knows the club already. So he would have been perfect fit for kind of knowing the club. Bit more experience than Frank Lampard's. And would is willing to play young players, so they would have been in a lot better position, I think, with Brendan Rodgers. Yeah, and you know, we, I think we hide behind some of this. Um, last week, I was banging on about um, uh, common sense, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry if I went off on one last week, but common sense tells you that Frank Lampard is a football man. <laughs> you know, common sense tells you that that his he comes from a footballing pedigree. You know, mm. his dad played football. Dad played football, and his his father in law's Harry Redknapp. Yeah. And you know, football man played for yeah. Chelsea. Football man, yeah. he knows his stuff. You know, yeah. Frank will get him out of it. Yeah. That's what common sense tells you. <laughs> Logic tells you that this bloke has never been the figurehead, the sole responsibility of a squad of twenty six players who will rely on him for direction as human beings. He hasn't had that responsibility. Well, he did it at Derby for one year, but... Yeah, but Derby finished sixth the year before Frank Lampard got there, and they finished sixth the year he was there. He just maintained... All he did was maintain reality of Derby, and he did so by bringing in the youth team coach from Chelsea and a bunch of youth team players from Chelsea who were too good for for the other teams that were looking aspirationally to finish sixth in the championship. So he doesn't have the ability... or can't say he doesn't have ability. I don't know the bloke. I'm sure he's very nice. He's a football man. But he doesn't have the experience to... to How do you um, take Pedro, who's one of the... Every, you know, Roger hates Pedro. Yeah. He was eerie, like, hate yeah. that I was using him as an example. Yeah. But he's one of the most decorated footballers in the Premier League. How do you take Pedro under your, under your wing when he's had a bad game and motivate him to the next game without the experience of what to do? How do you take him off on 60 minutes and explain that to him, that you're putting on a 20-year-old kid and yeah. then still have him chomping at the bit for next week? You, Brendan Rogers has the experience of managing teams. Yeah. It's not just... Being and a people. football man or having strategy or having experience. It's not just standing there telling a story about what it was like at the World Cup and how you fought adversity. Yeah. And, and you know, that's inspiring stuff, but it's not real. No, and it quickly becomes a problem that you have to be able to deal with that actual dealing with people because as soon as after you're six weeks in, everyone goes, I don't care about your story about yeah. this. No, no, I've heard it already. Pedro doesn't give a shit. Pedro's mm. got more medals than Frank Lampard. Yeah. Why would he care about Frank Lampard's story about, about getting to the quarterfinals of the World Cup? Like, <laughs> Pedro has won the World Cup. Pedro doesn't give a shit. Yeah. He's Pedro. Yeah. So it, I just feel like Frank Lampard is missing the logic that sits behind being a manager. Because he doesn't have the experience yet, and and if you if you've gone catapulted into a job like Chelsea's with a team that knows they're as good as it's going to get, like the Pedros, the Williams in that team know that I am your senior senior player. You can't get rid yeah. of me because you can't get any more. These kids aren't good enough. So you listen to what I say. 
Yeah. And you don't have the experience to put me in my box. And it's going to be very hard to motivate them because, yes, they're playing Europa League football and they're probably going to finish eighth. Yep. So, so, so they're out of here as soon as they can. And I don't think he can manage that. Bro, Broro can. And, and I think... <laughs> Broro. Broro. Who calls him Broro? I call him Broro. Brendan Rogers. Broro. <laughs> you know, he's Broro. Um... I, I, it's, we don't want to move off this game without giving Leicester credit. Leicester dominated the second half of this James game. James Madison was very good. Excellent. Have you seen his corners? Oh, they're really it's good. It's almost cheating. <laughs> like It's almost like he's one of those like tennis ball machines that fires tennis ball serves at you. Like It's outrageous the place he, put, he puts that ball in every time. So um, There's an England squad in two or three weeks out because of the international break. Do you think James Madison should be in it? I think he has to be. Mm. I, I think this is, again, with the national teams, this is the point where you start blooding in players for major tournaments. And he wasn't in the Europa League, not the Europa League, the Nations League. Yes. He wasn't picked in the Nations League. I think he should have been. I think that yeah. did him a disservice. Yeah. I think that no, I think that was purely right, just done on, you've not played for the first team that often. You've played in the under-21s. We'll keep you with the under-21s. Yes, and now's the time. He, he was excellent. Indeed, he was excellent. Yeah. Um, Jamie Vardy was a bit off the pace. Yeah. And for someone who only has pace, I, I think that's, <laughs> that's a problem. That's a worry. Um, um, do you think is thirty three this year? Like, is he getting past it? Like, is this the end of well, Jamie Vardy? Isn't this, isn't this weird? So, when you in ten years' time, when you look back at Jamie Vardy, what are you going to think? Fast. Well, okay, that's a that's a good <laughs> that's a fair first comment. But of his career, are you going to think that it, you know oh, he had a good good career? He scored the most goals in a row in a Premier League season. I'm going to think that his career lasted about three seasons and he just happened to appear at the absolute top of the world <laughs> game yep. and then disappeared again. It's good. Yeah, it's very... I mean... He Strange, moved, isn't it? Well, because he was, he was working as an estate agent until he was 21. <laughs> <laughs> so it's... But but for that reason, we talk about a lot like the Roonies of this world who played a lot when they were 16, 17 and then get burnt out by 30. Maybe he's the opposite of just going, I didn't play until I was 25 reg like regularly. So mm. maybe now he'll keep going for another couple of years. I think the thing that Leicester do have that I think probably a shrewder bit of business than everyone's giving it credit for is buying Iosi Perez from Newcastle. Yeah, okay. He paid thirty million for him, which is a huge amount of money. But that will get you a matchbox, he says. Yeah, <laughs> true. Um, Can you still get matchboxes? Matchbox cars? No, just a matchbox. Oh, matchbox. Yeah, I exist? bought some the other day. Oh, yeah. good. In, when I was in England, nineteen um, p. Oh, it cost they've me. still got matchboxes in England. Yeah. Brexit. Yeah, they're all. <laughs> They're all preparing, <laughs> preparing, preparing for to like just light their one thing of coal <laughs> in, the, in the middle of their living room. What are we having for dinner tonight, Mum? Coal. Bit, a bit of warm coal. Get the matchbox out, John. <laughs> um, yeah, that's pretty much. Put a chicken on it. We'll have it for have it for the week. That's basically what happened. <laughs> um, but Iosi uh, Perez is joined for thirty million from Newcastle, and he scored a lot of goals for the second half of the season for Newcastle last year. And he's not dissimilar to Vardy. Like, he's quick. He knows how to finish. He can, makes decent runs. So I can see if Vardy goes on a bit of a sticky patch, Perez comes in and just plays up front. And They're playing Perez on the left wing at the moment. Um, but I think mm. he can do that central role. So I think that's quite a smart buy by Brendan Rodgers. It's a very exciting time for Leicester. I, I think that Tillemans, is, uh, he wasn't necessarily great in that game, but he was. he's a great purchase and I think that he will only grow into a talisman of that team too so if I was a Leicester fan I'd be very excited at the moment yeah. I've got him coming fourth um, talking of other managers that are not doing so well let's go on to Roger's favourite flappy face uh, Steve Bruce um, so Newcastle lost to Norwich 3-0 mm -hmm. away from home but Newcastle played to lost to the fans are not involved the players look crap suddenly because Benitez isn't behind them. Joe Linton missed a sitter. Oh, that's what £40 million gets you, doesn't it? Like, I, looking at their fixtures, they um, play Spurs away this week. Um, then they play Watford, which also are having a nightmare at the moment. And then they have three or four other games against teams that, in reality, they're probably going to lose. I can see them being seven or eight games in. And having zero points, and that's a problem. Yeah, I, I do. And and 
I think, you know, results don't necessarily describe the game. We, we talk about that, you know, the results don't lie. Sometimes they do. Uh, the result against Norwich did not lie. No. <laughs> the, 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 the way Newcastle played was absolutely atrocious. They didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. They didn't know whether it was time to track back, push forward. They did, wingbacks didn't know whether they should be making runs, whether they should be defending. No one knew who they were covering. Like, did you? Hear, I meant to bring this up last week, but in the first game of the season, Steve Bruce bought on a sub, and he bought on a sub. And the guy that came on wasn't sure where to play. He was meant to be playing wing back, but he went into the middle of the park. And Steve Bruce was audibly heard shouting, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) (laughs) And you're the manager. Like, you can't stand on the side going, what's going on? And he was heard seeing that, like, that's a problem. That is a real problem. He he is an old school manager trying to, make do in the new school yeah you know it's and he's not playing the type of football that he's always used to play like it's just it's hard to watch it's always hard to watch with Newcastle that why do they press self-destruct so regularly and I I kind of feel sorry for Steve Bruce because I kind of like him and he's managing the club that he supported as a kid and his Newcastle and his Newcastle his dad was a diehard Newcastle fan um And so it's been kind of his ambition to do it. Um, And he had one chance to try and do it uh, uh, like a few years ago and didn't get picks. And so he's like, this is his opportunity. But you can't see any other scenario than it ending in tears. I I completely agree. Statistically, I think he has the worst win ratio for every Premier League manager in history that's made over 250 games. Go on. Yeah, so when bad. you talk about employing a, a an experienced coach, experienced he is being crap. literally he has the most experience <laughs> at being the worst. So where, where's the where's the hope? Yeah. Um, if say Steve Bruce gets fired, when Steve Bruce gets fired, yeah, when Steve Bruce gets fired, yeah. who do Newcastle bring in? Because they struggled enough. There's talk of Steve Bruce was eleventh choice, like that yeah. was on the list. He was eleventh choice. Where do they go after that? If you Say it's halfway through the season and they're bottom of the league. Who do they hire? No one's going to take that job. Tell you what, Frank Lampard can motivate the shit out of those guys. <laughs> Get lamps in. I reckon they'll just bring Joe Kinnear back. Oh. Maybe, maybe Mike Ashley will do it himself. Um, but someone who did very well in that Newcastle-Norwich game was Timmy Pookie. Pookie! Pookie! The best bold striker in the world. Yeah, Pookie's a dream, isn't he? Why, yeah. why did none of us pick Pookie as surprise player of the year? And what a hat-trick. Like, it wasn't like... Or off my knee, off my shoulder, like a great volley, a couple of great finishes. Um, and he, since the start of last season, um, has scored more league goals than any other player in the UK um, with 33. For He's 29 years old and been basically a bit rubbish for the last 28 years and then got good in the last year. It's, it's such a lovely story, isn't yeah. it? it um, so you're right, he scored 33 goals. I mean, it's league goals. Talk about league goals. Yeah. And it's slightly skewed because the championship has 46 More games. More games, yeah. So it, you can't compare that to Premier League strikers. But you look at the list of, of you know, he's he's ahead of Mo Salah, Saudio Mane, uh, Aguero. However, I'm looking at this list. And I'm like, okay, so Pookie came as a bit of a surprise, right? Little Pooks. Yeah. Pooko. Pooko. The, <laughs> the Pooks. Uh, so who's James Norwood? He plays like Tranmere or someone. Ipswich. Plays the Tranmere sign for Ipswich. He's second in this list with 31 goals. Wow. I'd be looking, if, if I was Steve Bruce, <laughs> I'd be looking at this list going, okay, right, so we all missed out on Pooks. Um Norwood, who's Norwood? Norwood, you free? <laughs> free? How's, how's Tranmere going? Well, like, but, want to come up and play for Newcastle? We spent forty million on Joel Linton. <laughs> you want a shot? We're talking. Is it James Norwood? Yeah, James Norwood. So there's Oliver Norwood, and I don't know if they're related. He plays for Sheffield United, who's a midfielder, yeah. and he's ex Man United kid, who's very good and he's doing well in the Premier League. But the reason Rog, in his absence, asked us to talk about a few Championship players that have come up into the Premier League and have done well. So Pookie's obviously doing very well. Um, and But going back to Newcastle, they buy Joe Linton for £40 million. I reckon if they spent £3 million on that Norwood bloke, they'd get more out of him. 100%, just like they got more out of Rondon. 
you'd like get someone who knows the league, knows the division, and it would be over the moon to play for Newcastle, and they'll die for you. And he would have scored that header at the weekend. The the only thing that I'd say about Pookie is is if you would take Pookie out of this Norwich side and put him in a different team, he would not perform as well. Now, yeah. Oh, the caveat is obviously he has not performed as well for other teams. So so like <laughs> history is on my side with this point. However, Norwich set up in a way for him to score goals. They know him well enough. He played every game of last season. That like They know how he plays, which means that when they set up someone, he's there because they know what he's going to be doing. And I, I feel like if you were to take him out and sign him for Newcastle, he probably wouldn't have had the same opening impact as, as he's had for Norwich. The same way if we took Norwood out of Ipswich, Tramir... Then, then he might not be what he is there. However, like hats off to the bloke, hats off to the little bald man. I'm absolutely loving it. Top scorer. Well, why not? Why like, not? It's just him and Raheem up there, isn't it? With yeah, four exactly. goals in two games on this list as well. Um, Neil Murphy. Neil Morpai. Is that his name? More sorry, Morpai. He's the guy that Brighton bought for twenty mil. So M- Morpai. Morpai is French. Ah, uh, Morpai. Morpai. <laughs> Neil. the the, the traditional French name Neil (laughs) you make a very very good point but it's N-E-A-L isn't it yeah whereas English Neil is N-E-I-L I'm dyslexic John I don't care yeah (laughs) yeah Neil um, he scored for Brighton in the first week of the season yeah and he came from Brentford and scored really uh, did really well for them last year Um, other championship players that did well last week um harry wilson scored for bournemouth now yeah he's on loan from liverpool so he's not really a championship player but he played for um frank lampard's derby last year um in the championship um bournemouth beat villa and were 2-0 up within 15 minutes um villa look like a team who've suddenly bought 15 players for 150 mil and don't know what they're doing. Who'd have thunk? Yeah. <laughs> Who would have thunk? It's like every, everyone said at the start, oh, yeah, it was a bit different to Fulham because they bought a lot of people on loan. and they, But it strikes me as they don't really know whether they're attacking or defending or who's doing what or where they're going. Um, and Bournemouth, this is the first game um, Villa played at home in the Premier League. And if you look massive at, event, massive occasion. Norwich won three 0 against Newcastle. Villa lost two one to Bournemouth, and I think that says a lot where those clubs are. Norwich mm. bought in a couple of players. Villa bought in a shed load of them, and look a mess. It, it's too early for me to worry about Villa yet, but I see some signs that are making me uncomfortable. So exactly the same as you, I, I think it just takes more than the. I was listening to an interview with a, a few Villa players. The BBC did like a, a behind-the-scenes pre-season thing. I listened to the Aston Villa ones. There are players there that don't know each other's names. They, they, <laughs> they, they call each other by their hair colour or, or tally or shorty yeah, or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, that's not a good start. It's just not. If you have so yeah. many players that you call them by their shirt number, yeah. like imagine playing on a football team and saying, number six, yeah. pass it to me. Like, that's not right. I've done that before when you like you fill in for on a, a five-a-side on a Tuesday night or whatever and you're just playing with a bunch of people and you're like, oh, bloke with the Barcelona shirt on. Yeah, that's it. You start <laughs> calling him Messi, just like, yeah, yeah. complimenting him, making yeah. make sure he passes to you. Yeah, like it, it's like that, Villa, which means that hopefully it will settle down, but... That's why I can't judge it so quickly. It's not like Steve Bruce's Newcastle where it's just a it's a it's a crashing plane and there's nothing we can do about it again in mm. Newcastle. I I do think that there will be a bedding down period and we will be okay by the end. And I don't think that Villa are the type of club to just pull the trigger for no reason. No, I think Dean Smith. Yeah, because I called him Jones, didn't I? And that was the cricket guy in the first week. No, Dean Smith. Um, he's an Aston Villa fan. Um, and I think he plays decent football. Like, I think he's got a good ethic there. Um, but this week, Villa are playing the Friday night game at home. So 5am Australia time for anyone who wants to get up against Everton. Um, now, Everton, you're on a really boring, consistent... <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, it's good, but it's boring, Jeff. Um, run at the moment. But you're playing Villa away on the Friday night. 
I think that's a big game for both of you. One, Villa need to score a point. They need to get something on the board. And it's their home game, Friday nights, lights, on TV, big deal. Everton aren't conceding goals at the moment. And if they're going to make a push for that top six, they're the kind of games they have to walk out of going, yeah, we won. You're you're exactly right. I think um, it's quite a weird feeling to sit here as an Everton fan and and talk about a tight (laughs) defence. And what's even weirder is the... That I put a lot of credit to Yeri Mina. And, and <laughs> how many times did we sit here last year talking about him being Bambi on ice and a liability? Yeah. And, and you know, Mina in his last eight competitive games, so if you include the Copper America, yep. his last eight games, he has conceded zero goals. Wow. That includes a game against Argentina, a game against Paraguay, a game against Chile, a game against Wunder Bremen, Palace, Watford, Wigan, and he hasn't conceded a single goal. Yeah, that's now, pretty good. I mean, I'm not going to change opinions off one statistic because yeah. he is part of a defence which is actually operating incredibly well. But it's it's a strange feeling. I'll, I'll give you that. Um, Everton, so basically what you guys are doing seems to be is that you're not conceding goals and you're getting a single goal or whatever here and there. Are you playing good football? And is it good to watch and is this a solid foundation of... This is a lot of questions, sorry. Is this a solid foundation of something that's good for the future? Or is it a bit like... Do you remember Arsenal at the start of last... So many questions, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you remember Arsenal at the start of last season where they went 20 games unbeaten, but actually it was all accidental? Like, oh, is, 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 has Marcus Silva made a change? Is something different happening at Everton? Or oh, is it... I think um, five of those were good questions and three of them were crap. So I'll, I'll start with the five. <laughs> sorry. Um, the... There, there has been some comments from Marco Silva this week where he's come out and said that he signed players late in the window. And and he did. You know, the last week was busy. Every yeah. bloody day Everton was signing a player in the last yeah. week. And the players that were signed early have been injured. So yeah. Fabian Delph was injured. Gomez was taken off injured in the first game. So his logic has been, or he's come out and said, that you have to start with something and then bed your players in. So what we're trying to do is win games of football or not lose games of football whilst we acclimatise our new signings, which we knew that we recognised we needed. So we knew we needed an attacking threat. We knew we needed dynamic players, quick players, young players, players that were going to track back, a new goal scorer. But the problem that we have now is we have to integrate those players whilst the Premier League started. So what we're doing is not conceding goals, make it sound so easy, we're trying not to concede goals (laughs) and see what happens during a period where we can bring players up to the speeds that they need to be to play in the Premier League for a team like Everton. And actually, it's it's working incredibly well. It's not very attractive. The the Crystal Palace game last week was one of the worst games of football I've sat up till two in the morning watching. The, The game against Watford, it was fine. Great atmosphere, which was lovely to see Goodison yeah. Park like that, but it was a 1-0 game. It was absolutely fine. Bernard's goal was fine. Like, good finish. Great to see him actually take a shot because he never used to take a shot. But again, it, the, the talking point was the defence. And that, and that is um, pragmatic. And I, 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 like, to do it against Watford, and like everyone knows that I've said Watford are going to go down and Javi Gracia is going to be the first manager out and it's all going wrong. But Watford... One thing you always know about them is they're big, they're strong, they're physical. They're like the Stoke of now, aren't they? They had six forwards on in the second half. Yeah. Six. And and you know that if they're a goal down, they're just going to ping balls in the box and Mm. get Troy Deeney on it and then get Delefeu to get the knockdowns and try stuff. For a defence to hold that out and not look like they're in too much trouble suggests that Everton are doing something right. It suggests that. Never get carried away. <laughs> and now the season started and I, and I can see the the mountain that still has yet to be climbed. You know, it's not a case of signing players and throwing them in and yeah, we're a changed team. I do think the players that have been bought in the summer have improved the side. I am very pleasantly surprised to see that the players that were already there are capable of continuing last season's form. I mean, the Everton are one game away from breaking a, a top flight record at home which is so far their last six games at Goodison. They've won five, drawn one, conceded zero goals and scored 10. Yeah, well. Now, those last six games included a game against Liverpool, a game against Arsenal and a game against Man United. Not bad. So I'm very pleased to see that that form has continued into this year. However, I would be more pleased if it was 
a bit easier on the eye. Yeah. Can I say that? A bit yeah. more attractive. But then if you're building something, your best start spot is sort out the defence. Because it's better. The, yeah. There was a couple of years ago where Goodison Park kind of lost its... Because it used to always be, go to Goodison, the crowd's really close to the pitch. It's really difficult. Oh, no, this is hard. Um, whereas they've seemed to reverse that and go... And it went all wrong and everyone was just attacking them and conceding the crowd would get on their back and stuff. Whereas it's a fortress again. He's built that and that's important. Feels like that. And, um, yeah, I, I have high hopes. And we, we've just spoken about a bunch of teams who are struggling to integrate players, struggling to integrate a manager. And we're going, okay, when it all settles, it'll be okay. What he seems to have done is come up with a formula to let it all settle whilst not losing. Yeah, good one. And, and that's good enough for now. Um, talking of going from a boring club that you support to an exciting club that I support. <laughs> um, Man United drew with Wolves one all. Um, just on a base level, we're undefeated and getting a point at Wolves away. I'm happy with that. Like, yes, it should have been a win. And yes, there was a weird scenario about Pogba or Rashford taking the penalty. And in my opinion, it should always be the manager that says before you walk out at the kickoff, Jeff, you're on penalties. Rashford, you're on penalties. And it should be no argument, no questions, no confusion, just super simple. That's what happens. And that should be it. I, I agree. It was weak management. But I, di I disagree that this game was fine. I thought this game was horrendous. <laughs> I, I really did. I really did. I'm not just trying to say that because it, I know it'll do your headed, even though it'll do your headed. But um, so I apologize yeah. in advance for the extent of how much I hated this game of football. <laughs> I, I felt like we know both of these sides, they are counter attacking teams. That is, that, yeah. is a, that is a fact, right? Wolves play a, a deep counter and they overlap when they, when they move forward. United play a more advanced counter and they try and transition really quickly. Right, so the second half of this game of football, you saw two teams that both ha had to score a goal to win. It was one yeah. all, and yet both remained counter-attacking sides. So whoever had the courage to venture into the midfield was left facing two banks of, of defenders, essentially, and in front of their, of their <laughs> banks of defenders who were still waiting for, for the turnover to, to then defend against, against the counter-attack. And, and no one had the courage to actually change their model. Now, when you, um, there, are some, there are some things that, that, that back up how, how frustrating this is. So the stats show that, on average, a football team has 280 attacks in a game. Okay. 280. Yeah. These are the stats. Yeah. However, on average, a team scores just under two goals a game yeah. in the life of an yeah. average football side, which means that over 99% of your attacks fail. Yeah. Right. So let's let's just just hold hold that in your in your head yeah. for a minute. Now, the overwhelming majority of goals are scored with fewer than four passes in the build-up. Right. Yeah. Keep keep those facts. Yeah. Okay. The last one I'll give you is that four. The ball changes hands in a game of football on average 400 times. Okay. Right, now put yourself in Ollie's, Ollie's head. Yeah. Ollie's thinking that all you want to do is capture one of those 400 turnovers. You want to know that you're going to have 260 times where you have got an opportunity to attack. And you want as few passes as possible because statistically that's where the most goals come from. Yeah. So you want to wait for an opportunity for a turnover, have as few passes as possible, and you're going to get... 200 odd chances to turn that ball over and 260 chances to attack in a game of football all you need to do is make sure that you are positioned perfectly to make one of those 200 turnovers that are for your team be a success mm -hmm. great that's a, that's a great yeah. strategy great footballing strategy yeah. now if you're Nuno and you know exactly the same stats <laughs> and you're working in exactly the same methodology you're going okay well I'm going to have 200 turnovers that will go to my way. And I have, I have 260 ways to, to, to attack this. And I know I need as few passes as possible. So you're both going to just fucking stand there because the stats dictate that your strategy is sound. Now, if you are unwilling to go against your strategy, which is sound, the way yeah. Man United have been playing in, in a counter-attacking format has been working for them and it's great. And the way Wolves have been doing it has been super exciting. And we know why Wolves struggle against, top, uh, against lower teams. Yeah. 
but score and do well against bigger teams is because bigger teams dictate the game and Wolves can counter on them. Mm. And, and that's why they've been so impressive. And the reason why they struggle to beat teams that are lower in the league is because those teams also sit back and Wolves don't know what to do yeah. because they're playing a strategy that is completely sound. Problem is, when both of you come up against each other, both playing that strategy, there is no... All you're going to do is there will be a washing machine in the middle of the park where the ball turns over and turns over and turns over and you look up and there is no route that has a few enough passes for it to be an, an acceptable time yeah. to move forward. So you play it back. You, you play it back, you try and build, you don't know what you're doing and then the ball turns over again in the middle of the park. And, and then they look up the only thing you can see is something that has to be built, yeah. which is, again, too many passes to be statistically sound to, to be a counter-attacking side. So you play it back and you're not good in possession. So the, both teams were atrociously naive and didn't change. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it atrociously naive. I, I would say that for the last 10 minutes, they probably just gave up and cancelled each other out and just went, this is what's going to happen. Like Oli chucked on Wan Mata and went, ooh, someone with a bit of creativity and someone a bit different that's like let's see if we can get him to make a pass um man united's strategy is do that but also know that you have martial and rashford who have an x factor and something a bit special so they hopefully can make something happen martial scored a great goal again yeah less and, than fewer than four passes like that's the, the, when these goals happen from for united yeah. they're, they're quick reactions but if you at the start of the season said man united play chelsea at home Wolves away first two games of the season you're going to get four points out of it you'd be like great I will walk away with that super chuffed and I think there was part of Oli that looked at that game and went we've got a goal we should have won it with the penalty but we didn't I'm cool with this Like, so, that's that, so you think that's Oli's fault the, the penalty uh, y yes yeah I do because it, it should be his authority to go you're the penalty taker and not go Oh, you two can choose between you on the pitch. Who? Because he came out and said, "Oh, whoever feels more confident on the day." Well, I feel more confident. Like that's I hated that. That is the worst excuse for a reason. Like no, every striker or anyone who's taking a penalty is always going to say, "I'll have it. I'll have it. I'll have it." Like and I that's I what you, footballers do. After that um, Champions League game against PSG, when Marcus Rashford stood up in the ninety-first minute, you remember that? Yeah, yeah of course yeah, you remember yeah. that. Ever since then. There is another player who should be taking penalties to Manchester United. There will never be a He's more never pressure one. football, fo uh, more pressure kick yeah. in his life. Yeah. I don't think than that for a club like United in the Champions League. So because of that, why isn't he taking a penalty against Wolves? Give it yeah. to the kid. His um, first two penalties in professional football for England in the World Cup and that one for Man United against PSG, and he scored them both. Oh, like right. he's twenty years old. Just let him do it. Just he knows what he's doing. Not Pogba will do this silly run-ups and tries fancy things or whatever. Crap penalty too. Not just the fact they got saved. It was right in the position to be saved. Yeah. Um, let's move on to just touch on a few other players that had a good week. Um, I watched the Arsenal Burnley game. Sabalos. Sibilus. Sabalos. Sabalos. The Real Madrid midfielder on loan <laughs> at Arsenal. <laughs> Um, it's really good, like really, really good, shockingly good. Like I had no expectations whatsoever. I thought, well, no, my expectation was he's going to be a bit flaky and not really like it playing against Burnley. It'll just be a bit all over the place. He got stuck into tackles. He passed the ball brilliantly. He took people on. They have a player, like really, really good. So is. Um, does sorry is his contract uh, one that has an option to buy no he's just on loan purely on loan um, and Real Madrid know they have a player so they were like but they also knew we're not going to give you game time this year so you, we want you to play as high as possible that will get you much game time he's really really it's good it's astute by Arsenal well, I, I've heard he's the next Santi Carzola that's, that's the yeah. way he's been described he's just got everything like he's so unrushed on the ball and just takes it under his in any situation takes it under control looks up will take a player on passes in tight situations um i did listen to a podcast this morning that really annoyed me um it was some british bloke going oh yeah but in in january he won't like it because it's cold oh, so and, and you're just like oh come on <laughs> like he's played one game against burnley and done brilliantly stop going oh yeah he won't like it when it's cold like but he was excellent how did um Gendouzi do 
Did he, yeah, did very he stand good. out? Yeah. Minus the hair, of course. Did yeah. he stand out? Yeah, no, he was very good. I think um, I genuinely thought Arsenal looked very good. I thought David Luiz was excellent. Um, and they've got something going. And also I did post on Facebook that they suddenly have become the coolest team in the world because their kit's awesome. And they've got David Luiz with his big hair, Guendouzi with his big hair, Sabalos just strutting around and... Abemiang's suddenly the best striker in the world. He is the best striker in the world. <laughs> okay, I'll say that flippantly because I'm on beer number four. He is, he's got to be one of the best strikers in the world. 100%. We're, okay, um, but he, uh, the only, his only fault, and our Arsenal fans write me a letter if I'm wrong, his only fault is, is he has limitations just like Chikorito. He is a played through striker. You play him through and he's phenomenal. I wouldn't say that he's a he doesn't have the hold up play that the Kaku would, or he you know he can't turn like Henri. No, but when you play him through or he's running at pace, he's just amazing. Yeah, you don't expect him to do anything else, but as long as you just go put him through, run, score, he'll do it. Which means it's about service. It's not about him. It's about service. No. If you if you have the right players feeding him, he will be like that every week. Yep. So you, you've got to say that if you're playing against Arsenal, you just have to starve him of service because he won't drop deep to pick up the ball and make something happen. Um, moving off Arsenal, uh, your surprise player of the year, um, Trossard, is it? Leandro Trossard. The Belgian guy uh, for Brighton um, under magician Potter. Um, scored a great goal and possibly a second. Two great goals. <laughs> I'm, I'm calling it two great goals. The first goal got ruled out um, for something that happened in the build-up, which doesn't... I mean, it means it wasn't a goal. I'm not going to say it was a goal. It wasn't a goal. Mm. However, he still scored a goal. He put it away. Like he put, he, he kicked yeah. the football and it went in the goal without anyone realising that the play was going to be stopped, yeah. which means that you can judge his finish, which was excellent. Yeah. They're, they're already calling him Hazard. Have you heard that? <laughs> they're saying he's the new <laughs> Hazard. He's played a game. I am. Um, I watched... The majority of that Brighton game because I'm I'm fascinated by Brighton and they've kind of become my second favorite team this season. Suddenly, like oh, Pot I think is doing something and I think Brighton are going to do something this year. Um, he was brilliant, Trossard. Like every time he got the ball, he looked dangerous. Like a little bit like I've got ball, head ball, head down. I'll run, see what happens. Yeah. But it's entertaining, and he made stuff happen. So and what I mean he about ran his, and ran and ran. I was talking about his low center of Garrett gravity and the fact yeah. that he's he's always kind of at stretched but still in control. Like yeah. the kid's got something. Yeah, I think it looked good. Um, now, do you want to do a bit of VAR chat? The only thing that I've got to um, say about VAR this week is there has been a new addition to the VAR suite of referees in the UK, Jared Gillett. Uh, do you know who Jared Gillett is? Nope. <laughs> so those who are not in Australia wouldn't necessarily be familiar with Jared Gillett's portfolio of exceptional work in the A-League. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. He um, will post a picture on, on Facebook because yeah. if you have watched Australian football over the last three or four years, you'll recognise this man as one of the most atrocious officials you will have ever come across quit being a referee in the A-League, to move over to the UK, to venture into his, his next life opportunity in the VAR suite. So um, the first match that he's officiating is the West Ham game this week. So keep, Ooh, keep Watford West Ham eyes peeled on the Watford West Ham game for some VAR choices. Oh, good. And um, on VAR, I guess... No, do you know what? I don't care about the Gabriel Jesus goal that didn't go in. Like, it's the rules. Great, I agree. It is what it is, and like I know, Rog right now is at home having a heart attack. Well, actually, he's probably getting strangled by a python. So who gives a <laughs> shit? But um, it's the rules. It came off his arm. That's the new rule. It's exactly right. And the the only thing that is resonating these weeks is maybe it's the rules. It's not VAR. It's the rules, and that's fine. You know, we can argue with the rules because we've been arguing with the rules for the last hundred years. Yep. VAR is just another way of looking at them. Um, is there any games next week that you want to look forward to? Is there anything that stands out? Well, I mean, Liverpool-Arsenal is the obvious one. Top of the league clash, both undefeated. Yeah, what are your thoughts? Um, I think Arsenal have a chance. Like, I think yeah. Liverpool, they've, well, they've had the Super Cups, they've had an extra game. 
the Super Cup. <laughs> they have no goalkeeper. <laughs> oh, Adrian, and, yeah. we not talk about Adrian? <laughs> <laughs> Adrian's uh, massive error at the end of the last game. Which didn't matter in the end. Oh, but it nearly did. It didn't um, oh, Danny Ings nearly put it away in the last minute. Yes. It nearly mattered a yeah. lot. But um, I do think it's not quite right in the defence without Alisson in goal. They look a bit shaky. Um, and Arsenal have looked good at the start of this year. And like I said, I think Sabalos is really good. Aubameyang started scoring straight away. If... I was an Arsenal fan. I'd be mildly bothered. If, if Arsenal come out of this, away from home at Liverpool with a point, they're doing really, really well. But they could almost get more. I would love it if you're right. <laughs> I would. I, I, I think that it would be uh, a wonderful sign that the Premier League is going to be nice and exciting and to have Liverpool and City drop points within the first three weeks. I think it would be a wonderful thing. I can't see it. I can't see it because... Aubameyang's pace is going to be countered by Van Dijk's pace. I agree that without um, without Allison, they're, they're a little bit lacking at the back. But I just think that Liverpool at Anfield are going to over, over over dominate in the early periods some of the young Arsenal players, and I don't think they'll be able to cope. So, yeah. I, and I might be wrong. This this might be an example that we need that Arsenal have grown some balls. Yeah, but I'm not sure they have yet. I, there's, there's part of me that just really thinks Unai Emery's really good, and I can't shake it. <laughs> I just like, and I'm, I'm just like I'm leaning more and more towards Arsenal doing really well this year, um, and I'm not sure why. So, what do you think about the Norwich Chelsea game? Uh, Norwich Chelsea is massive. Um, Who would have thought that is massive? Well, I, like, and we kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I just think if Norwich beat Chelsea at home, having won at home um, the previous week against Newcastle, there's got to be pressure on Frank Lampard. Like, he's got to look at that game and go, I have to win this game. Like, it's Norwich. They just got promoted. But Norwich are on fire. Pookie's on fire. They they are on fire. They've been on fire for the last year. For the last calendar year, they've been on fire. They haven't made that many new signings. They are a stable team with a stable coach. They know their jobs. They play the same style every week. When they went away to Liverpool, didn't they have the most shots against Liverpool at Anfield for the last year? Something yeah, like yeah. that. Well, they beat everyone from last season. Yeah, you know, that's incredible. So they went away to Liverpool and played like that, which means at home against Chelsea, they're going to play like that. So Chelsea are coming up against a tightly tuned, well-oiled machine. And Chelsea, I don't think, are ready for that yet. No, I, I think they could be in a lot of trouble. Um, my favourite game of the weekend that I'm looking forward to is Potter again going back to Brighton v Southampton Southampton we've not talked about this season yet they have played two lost two like we all love the rabbit hutch and we all thought Southampton were going to do alright this season um, they've lost to I can't remember who they lost to last week but they lost to Liverpool this week um, and they lost to what, uh, Burnley 3-0 mm. which they should never have crazy done. result yeah, yeah. Um, and I just thought Southampton will push on and they'll finish 12th. And everyone will go, well done, Southampton. You've done all right. Um, Hassan Hootel is a good coach. If they suddenly lose this to Brighton, the Brighton are sitting in fifth right now and looking good. One, Southampton are a problem and Brighton are looking brilliant. I think it's a big... It's a big game to see where the teams are sat so far in the season. Yeah, interesting. I've got, I've got no fear about Southampton. And maybe that's naive of me. But I feel like we saw enough of Hasselhutten last year that he's a taskmaster. He's the kind of man... He's got that kind of Benitez in him. He will be pragmatic. He'll be he'll get them well-tuned, well-oiled. And they should have got a result against Liverpool. Well, they, they should have got a point out of that. Yeah. I know they were gifted a goal, but... But Ings really should have scored at the end. Should have done something. And doing that against Liverpool, there's there's more to that team than than we expect. Who the hell would have predicted the Burnley result? Yeah. So it's it's really hard to to write them off. I mean, look at two teams with no points. Oh, that's a lie. Crystal Palace do have a point. But look at two teams who are who are down there early on, and a team like Palace, I worry about. A team like Southampton, no concerns. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's fair enough. But speaking of, of Palace, they're up against United this week. Yes, and we all smash them. I can't see it getting much better for Crystal Palace. What do you reckon? 
No, I don't. I think they they. What happened was Aha has affected them. It's yeah. affected him. It's affected them. The fact that he didn't play that first game of the year makes a big difference. And their other players are not good enough. Yeah. Sorry, sorry if that's no, no, bad. you're right. No, like I, if think, you, um, I completely agree. If you play in the Premier League and you have players that are not good enough to play in the Premier League, then you're not going to do very <laughs> well. Fuck, this is great punditry. But you're good like, in- Good insight, Jeff. That's it good. sounds so basic, but when you're going, okay, well, when when Zaha isn't on form, what we really need is Andros Townsend to step up. Oh no, 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 he's crap. Okay, when Townsend isn't very good, I tell you what, Ben Teke, let's see if he can step or up. Or Connor Wickham. You know, it's just not. Oh, oh, they they got James McCarthy. Maybe he'll change things. Like it's just not right. Yeah. So I don't think they're good enough, and I think they're the fact that they're still there is reliant on one man, and that one man has become a problem. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair point. Um, do you have any side stories for this week, Jeffa? I did. Um, there's. Did you see that Spurs have um, have announced that they are currently six hundred and thirty-seven million pounds in debt? Wait, no, no, say that again. Spurs are six hundred. Spurs announced their finances today this week, yeah. and they have said that they borrowed six hundred and thirty-seven million pounds. From Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, and HSBC to pay for their new stadium. Wowzers. But everyone borrows money to build a house. Correct. Now, the payment terms that they have on this loan is... Yeah, that's a very good point, John. They, they build a house here. Uh, but the payment terms they have on this loan are to um, very aggressive... And they're based on paying back at a high interest rate. Yeah, so they're yeah. paying back as a profit. But this is based on them being in the Champions League. Okay. So if they don't make Champions League, it all kind of can go wrong quickly. Until I saw these numbers, I didn't think that they were in problems. I, th- I thought, you know, they have sponsorship and yeah, you know, yeah. these things are very complex. But I saw these numbers and I thought, whoa, you've really... I mean, you've got them to win the league this year. So, yeah. so as far as you're concerned, they'll be able to pay they'll their debts. They'll be everything. But it's it's a concern, I think, when, when you're... When you're levied up that much <laughs> in a game like Levy football. Because look what's happened to Arsenal. Yeah. Like uh, You couldn't have predicted that Arsenal's decline out of the Champions League would have been the way it was. You just can't. And the fact that Arsenal were a self-sustaining club means that Arsenal can contract and expand however they see fit depending on their financial model and and what's his name the young Kroenke you know Stan oh, Kroenke's yeah. kid the Jake American Kronke guy yeah. Yeah. he came out and he said you know after the Europa League final we knew that we had a different budget next year we had a Europa League budget yeah. and not a Champions League budget that's fine because every year Arsenal can reassess their budget what can we afford this year we'll pay yeah because their finances work within the structure of their club. But if you're sitting on £670 million of debt that have, have aggressive payment terms based on your performance, there is an additional pressure that exists in that football club. I think Man United is still on £900 million of debt. So. Yeah, but you're publicly listed. Yeah. So you can you could just liquidate more shares, sell mm. it off to someone in Malaysia, and, and everyone's a winner. Yeah. No, I'm not true. saying that everyone loves buying shares in Malaysia. I just chose it as a club, you know, country that loves Manchester United. It's the <laughs> spiritual home of Man United is Kuala Lumpur. <laughs> it is. That is our spiritual home. Old Trafford is based in Kuala Lumpur. Um, Older Trafford. Yes. Um, I've got a couple of side stories. First up from uh, Dom via Facebook. Um, so if anyone wants to send us a side story on Facebook, just shoot us a message um, or post it on our page. That's fine. But uh, Emmanuel Adebayor is uh, still playing and he is signed for a team in Iran. Sorry, how old is Emmanuel Adebayor? 36, I think this article said, maybe 37. No. Yeah. And he's playing for a team in uh, Iran called Tractor FC. (laughs) Yes. So, uh, yeah, I I guess you get a free tractor if you play for him. He can't be 36. I don't know. I think so. I might have misread it, but I'm pretty sure he said 36. He's not. (laughs) <laughs> sorry I've not done any reason he just can't be that's not real we will fact check later and see 36 um, another side story this came from like Benjamin Button <laughs> it's outrageous but this came from Rog whilst uh, talking to Pythons Vincent Company has started really badly at Andalect oh there we go go on and I in the awards show for the end of last season um, my one of my predictions for something that I can't remember what it was for 
was that Vincent Company is going to do really badly at Andalect. And he has played four games. They have two points yet to win a game. Um, and already the club's getting a bit annoyed with the fact that he's now going off on international duty for Belgium when he's also the manager. So usually the manager would stay behind, obviously, oh, and coach the team and make yeah. them better. But because he's player manager and he still plays for Belgium, he's about to go and play international games. Okay, so when this happened, John, there is no part of us that ever thought, oh, they've, they've definitely thought this one through. Like they know what they're doing. Trust, trust yeah. them. Like this, it's too weird for them not to have a really solid plan. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't. That never crossed my mind. It was always okay. This is a, this is a, a really slow car crash, and yeah. we're just watching it hit the wall. It's all going wrong, and already some of the fans are saying that he's a bit arrogant and thinks he's Pep Guardiola and thinks he has all these great plans and all sorts, and it's not happening. And it's already going wrong for Vincent oh, Company. Well, Vinny Watch. I'm looking forward to Vinny Watch this yes. year. Um, but now let's finish off with our knee-jerk reaction of the week. Um, Jeffa, do you have a knee-jerk reaction of the week? Um, yes. I think that Villa might be at Everton on Friday night. Wow. Yeah. That's a big that's a big call. And and you and you know you know why I think it's because the emotion that you ride through as an Everton fan, there, there's a feeling you get that you get a little bit assured that everything's okay. <laughs> and then the the closest possible chance to have that completely beaten out of you, it is. And that that's happened for the last, <laughs> the last four years. So I think that Villa are going to get their first points of the season against Everton in an embarrassing 3-0 win. Wow, I, uh, I I'm looking forward to hearing if that happens next week. Ugh. My 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 knee jerk reaction of the week is that there is going to be a manager fired after six games of the league. Six games. Six games. Like it might, it might be like earlier, six games or earlier, but I reckon around six games mark. I think Steve Bruce, Javi Garcia, Frank Lampard, Hassan Hutel, like someone's going to be gone. Like I just think. The amount of talk there is after two weeks. Yeah, it's Time's... building already. Who yeah. knew? I think of all of those people, Javi Gracia, because yeah. Watford have looked real crap. And <laughs> I had a look at their Sorry. fixtures. Yeah, No, they have. And I looked at their fixtures this week and they play West Ham at home this weekend. And then they have like your Liverpools and Arsenals. and they, Again, they could be six, seven games in without a point and it could go really And wrong. Watford have previous don't they they don't like what's the average average life term of their managers nine months or something yeah Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. two and a half weeks and an extra sunday bank holiday yeah so no it could all be over great (laughs) love it john i hope you're right um do you have anything before we leave jeff no 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 great to great to enjoy date night with you john yeah uh we've not missed you rog you can today get in Attacked by your snakes, that's fine. He's so fucked up, that picture. <laughs> it's so, so sorry. <laughs> I might share that on Facebook. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. We will be back next week, and Rog may be here if he's not killed by a snake. Uh, don't forget, if you want to get in contact, ask us questions, or tell us we're wrong about anything, or add a side story, um, find us on Facebook, just search Football Shed, um, or shoot us an email at footballshedpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, guys. Bye. See ya.